This episode of Market Foolery is brought to you by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Rocket Mortgage brings the mortgage process into the 21st century with a fast, easy, and completely online process. Check out Rocket Mortgage today at quickenloans.com. It's Monday, October 3rd. Welcome to Market Fuller. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser, and from Stock Advisor Canada, Taylor Muckerman, who's ready for some playoff baseball. Hey Not me. <laughs> Red Sox are in there. It's yeah. a big weekend. You got the Mets, you got the Red Sox, you got the Nats. The Giants. Giants got in there. The Cardinals, I cannot believe you're not going to see them this postseason. Yeah. It seemed like they were a, a fixture. It's like nine years running almost, yeah. I think it was. I was one of those traditionalists who was against the whole wild card format, and uh, I like it. I like it now. Yeah. I've come around on the wild card. I mean, I will say, like, I never, I, if the Red Sox are not involved, I don't pay attention. And so for me, like, the more teams you can add into it, especially if it's like that. That one game sort of thing. I think any excitement baseball yeah. can muster this is probably better. Speaking so. speaking of excitement, we've got a merger Monday deal to talk about. We're going to dip into the full mail. Guns a blazing on merger Monday. <laughs> Guns a blazing, so to speak. Uh, let's start with that. Bass Pro Shops, which is a privately held company, is buying Cabela's for five and a half billion dollars. Uh, we Cabela's is one of those companies we've talked about on this podcast before. It, um, Think back to last December, when uh, the company came out and said, you know, the proverbial exploring strategic alternatives, and now it's being bought out at a forty percent premium to where it was last December. So I think if you're a Cabela's shareholder, you got to be pretty happy about this. I certainly would be, although you lose any more upside potentially since they're taking it private. You're not getting any shares in Bass Pro Shops. Um, I think these are two stores that are. Kind of unique in the retail space because I think a lot of what they sell you can't buy on the likes of Amazon or other online stores like boats, RVs, guns. So I think that the company, um, both of these companies, I'm a believer in. I don't go there often, but they're fun stores, even if you're just a casual shopper to go in. Very interactive, um, good margins for Cabela's if you look at it. And uh, there's stores. These aren't like CVS's and Walgreens where they have competing stores on opposite cor- street corners. So I don't think they're going to have a lot of store closures. They might trim back some employees because I think Cabela's is like averaged around 225 employees per store. Uh, Bass Pro Shops right around 200. So maybe they find some efficiencies there. But I think that I, I'm a big fan of of, of this right now uh, for Bass Pro Shops as a private company. But like I said, it kind of sucks that you can't invest in it anymore. Uh, no, that's true. But it it really does seem, Jason, to that point that. Uh I, I don't know. I think if you're a Cabela's shareholder and it's December 2015, and you know that this company's going somewhere, there there are worse ways this could have gone. I yeah. I mean, I think this is probably the best case scenario for investors in Cabela's today. I mean, I think I, I like Taylor. I like this deal. I think it makes sense. It's fairly complimentary. Um, but I also think you have to at least ask some questions about Cabela's growth going forward. I think they were starting to run in a bit of a buzzsaw where it comes to to growth. I'm not sure how many more stores they could open without really kind of infringing on that yeah, mass yeah. Uh, competitive space. And um, I mean, it, it is a very dedicated customer base that they have in outdoor sports. It's it's interesting, I think, to look at the financial services side of the business because um, Cabela's offers up this financial services side where they basically supply or offer uh, Cabela credit cards for their consumers, and so typically 
if you look at like their balance sheet in relation to the sales numbers every year, they have a lot of loans outstanding that they're collecting on. Um, which means that they're extending their customers a lot of credit in order to gin up those sales. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's perfectly fine. Um, I think on the one hand, you look at that and you think, well, yeah, that is a growing balance that they have to continue to, to sort of worry about and focus on collecting on. On the other hand, I mean, their cardholders had a median FICO score of 794 at the end of 2015, which is pretty exceptional. Mm-hmm. Um, their charge offs are very low compared to industry averages. On the other hand, again, you look at that and you think, well, I mean, is how how is that something they're going to have to use to gen to gen up growth going forward? Is that a lever they're going to have to continue to pull, offering more credit or figuring out how to grow that base of consumers with credit? Um, and if they start sort of relaxing their standards a little bit and and start accepting folks with less than stellar credit records. I mean, we had a little housing crisis because of something like that, Chris. I, I heard and of that. So I feel like at some point you just want to make sure you kind of understand your consumer and that they can pay their bills. But all in all, good business, and I think the acquisition makes sense. Well, that's yeah. What, yeah. I was just going to say that's where you hope that the the people who again it's a privately held company, but that's where you hope that the people who are running Bass Pro Shops have their heads on straight in terms of that piece of Cabela's business. And to what extent it was driving the bus here? Because yeah. if they thought, well, that's that's the golden goose, and we can multiply it, then maybe they can get into trouble that way. But if instead they were thinking, to your point, Taylor, this is a comp- these are complementary businesses, uh, loyal customer base. I, I didn't know that about the uh, about the FICO scores. I mean, that's that's. That's, that's the kind of yeah. that's the kind of customer you want. Sure, absolutely. And I, and again, I mean, I think that's one of those things where. A business sort of recognizes its niche, sees the resources at its availability and at its disposal, and they feel like, okay, not only can we give our customers this, it'll teach us more about our customers, what they want, how they spend. So they get a lot of data from their customers based on this kind of spending as well. So it's an attractive part of the business. It's one you just have to be very wary of and you want to keep an eye on. Uh, throughout the years to sort of understand is it a lever that they're pulling for growth and exactly how far are they willing to go with it now when they when they go private uh, this will probably not be information that's necessarily as readily available um, but but I think they have a history of, of obviously executing very well and and I think that um, shareholders today have to be feeling pretty good about that pop when they have a capital one branded credit card so maybe there'll be some disclosures. Yeah, that way. Yeah, um, since Capital One is publicly traded, but yeah, you can hit us up on Twitter at MarketFoolery is our Twitter handle from Justin Frenzel. Please make Christmas come a little bit earlier and discuss Tesla Motors on Monday. Merry Christmas, Justin. <laughs> Let's talk about Tesla Motors. Shares up five percent this morning after the company said it delivered twenty four thousand five hundred vehicles in the third quarter. That is a seventy percent increase year over year. So, and you also have the company saying we're on track for our full year deliveries. I guess that's where the enthusiasm comes from. If 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 they're going to do in Q4 in terms of a year over year increase, what they did in Q3, that's at least in the right direction. I think Q4 of last year was pretty strong because uh, that you saw Q1 and Q2 of this year um, decline. Uh, Sequentially, um, so but you see a lot of deliveries being pushed forward from Q2 into Q3. Same thing going into Q4. So you've already got a 5,000 vehicle head start. They they estimate because these vehicles are in transit. 
Um, I'm just looking to see when they release on November 1st their earnings if they experience any more economies of scale because you've seen that they really haven't over the last few quarters. So if they can turn these um, ramped up distributions of these vehicles and sales of these vehicles into a little bit more cash, uh, maybe slightly less of a loss, then then that could be a good sign. But if things remain the same or get even worse, I'll be very concerned. I'm a shareholder, and that's what I'm focusing on because yeah, they delivered all these cars, but they're still shy of their weekly their weekly production numbers that they thought they would have in the third quarter. They thought maybe 2,200 vehicles, um, and they came just shy of 2,000 vehicles produced on a weekly basis. Um, and they're shooting for 2,400 in the fourth quarter. So there's still some numbers that they fell shy of, and I want to see how these deliveries actually impacted the financials. So. You said make Christmas come early. It just made me think. You know what we do around my house to make Christmas come early? So we have like we have two <laughs> dogs, and they have these um, collars, like jingle bell collars, and and we put them on during Christmas time. And then we just decided, hey, they were so effective at letting us know where the dogs were at all times. We just left them on. <laughs> and so now in the middle of the summer, you hear this jingle, jingle, jingle. And it's like, wow, man, it's just up on the rooftop. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, yeah, I think this is great for Tesla. I don't see why anybody would be necessarily surprised given the the internal memo that was. I guess leaked at the beginning of September, sort of where Musk is imploring his, his uh, employees to, to cut every cost and deliver every vehicle they possibly could. Um, that's all sort of geared towards this notion that they're going to have to raise some money here very soon, and they are going to have to raise some money here very soon because it's a very capital-intensive business, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, we've we've always kind of said, hey, I mean, at, at its core, right now, this is an automobile company, and. If any investor in Tesla, you have to sort of look at it and decide how you want this to play out. I mean, are you investing in a car company, a battery company, or an energy company? And in every sort of thesis, extend your timeline a little bit. I, you know, I think I've probably been a little bit critical of Musk. Seeming, I kind of feel like sometimes I just want him to shut up and get back to work. <laughs> just stop tweeting and just go do your thing. And, and I, let me be very clear, man. I I admire this guy. I love what he's doing. I mean, he wants to take us to Mars and all of this stuff. And I'm 100% behind it. He's not going to do it with my money. I'm not going to buy stock in Tesla because of all of these grand aspirations. Now, if I can find a case to invest in Tesla, because Tesla will be a successful automobile company or perhaps battery company, that's great. I think the share. I think the Solar City acquisition is kind of a bailout. I don't think Solar City was nearly as good of a business. As Tesla is or could be, um, but I mean, I think this is great for Tesla because they are going to need to raise some money here very soon. And, and, and if it's one thing Musk is great at, it, it is raising capital. Speaking of batteries, is the Gigafactory online yet? Is that thing done? <laughs> I don't think it is yeah, yet. I, I, I would imagine there would have been some hoopla around yeah, that. Yeah, I think they've they've done some tours or some. Opening tours, or something. I mean, I think there's something, but I don't think it's fully operational. Yet. Yeah, I don't think shareholders are looking for tours. I think yeah. shareholders are looking for the thing to be up and running yeah, yeah. and producing. Yeah, it's just it, he's got these grand aspirations, and I, I, I love it. I mean, I think it's great. I just, I just, I think you got to be careful. Just don't say, oh, Elon Musk wants to take us to Mars. Therefore, I'm going to invest in Tesla. That's not how that works. Make sure you understand kind of how you're going to get from point A to point B. And with Tesla, it's like or point C or point D or point M. You know. Well, you look at it the same day they released this. Ford releases that its sales were down eight percent year over year. So I mean, you see some juxtaposition there between this electric car vehicle company delivering seventy percent more in a quarter versus eight percent down in a month. And uh, it's kind of interesting. I don't know if you can look too much into it, but um, it's clever timing. 
the topic of going to Mars came up the other day uh, when I was talking with Bill Mann, and uh, so I'll give him credit for his line, which was, I'm not interested in who's going to get us to Mars first. I'm interested in who's going to get us back from Mars first. <laughs> uh, before we keep going, uh, i got to say thanks to Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans for sponsoring this episode, because if you've ever bought a home, you already know how much time it takes to get a mortgage, how frustrating that can be. And Rocket Mortgage brings the whole approval process into the 21st century by taking all of the complicated, time-consuming parts of applying for a mortgage out of the equation. You can easily share your bank statements and your pay stubs at the touch of a button, and you can get approved in minutes for a custom mortgage solution that's been tailored to your own financial situation. And best of all, you can just do it on your phone or tablet. So, if you're in the market for a home or you're looking to refinance your mortgage, check out Rocket Mortgage today at quickenloans.com. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, NMLS, consumeraccess.org, number 3030. Talk about a company ready for a retail um, build out on Mars, or re- real estate build out on Mars. <laughs> exactly. Rocket Mortgage. Who's g- really? <laughs> Who's going to be doing <laughs> the mortgages on Mars? Rocket Mortgage. Uh, Got to give a shout out to one of our listeners, Drew Morris, who uh, tweeted at me over the weekend, uh, and it was just a single word, and, and he just wrote, oops. And I wasn't sure what he meant by that. <laughs> and he was essentially retweeting something he had tweeted to me one year ago. So, October 2015, he, he writes, Speaking of crazy market undervaluing, I think it's time to back up the truck and buy some GoPro. Now, let me give our listeners some context here. October 2014, GoPro <laughs> is trading around $90 a share. October 2015, when Drew tweets at me, it's down to $30 a share. Uh Uh-oh. And Drew's thinking, time to back up the truck. Now it's October 2016, and Drew writes, oops, because it's trading at about $16 a share. So, you know what? Good for you, Drew. Humility is one of the... Humility, holding yourself accountable. It's one of the greatest qualities any investor can have, seriously. And having a a sense of humor about it. Um, I, I don't know if Drew actually did... Back up the truck on GoPro, um, but uh, hopefully he didn't back it up too much. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, that's who knows. Maybe things can get better before the uh, before the year is out. I just I think that's a challenge business, and we talked a lot about it here. Well, and the last time Kretzman, uh, David Kretzman, was in the studio, we were we were talking about the uh, the new model that had come out and some mm-hmm. some some good early reviews. So we'll see if it if it gets back on the. The hot gadget list for the holidays. Were you guys talking about the the new camera or the drone that they came out with? The drone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, our email address is marketfoolery at fool uh, from Brent Thompson, uh, and I won't read the whole email. It's it's a very thoughtful email, uh, very lengthy as well. So I'll, I'll summarize. But Brent was mentioning GoPro and how when we talk about it, one of the things that comes up is that they're trying to become a media company. And at the moment, that strategy does not appear to be working. Certainly, if you look at uh, the reviews that, that customers have for the GoPro app, um, they, are, you know, they are not stellar. It's, you mm-hmm. know, it's got a one-star rating. And you, you, read, you read the comments from some people, and, and you get a lot of, yeah, I'm giving this one stars because I can't give it zero stars. <laughs> um, but he goes on to uh, to ask, is there a way to make money using a bearish position in a company that does not hinge on the company melting down entirely? Or is the best way to play a company in slow to moderate decline to just avoid it? Um, it's a great question, because I think it's um, certainly in hindsight, um, but even sometimes while it's happening, it is easy to see companies that are in free fall 
and think, boy, you know, maybe maybe I should short this, or maybe three months ago I should have shorted it. But but more often than not, what you see are companies that are that, to use his word, are bearish. That you just sort of look at and go, uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't know that this is going to zero, but it certainly seems like it's in a pretty steady decline. And so, Jason, I'll just start with you. Take that in any direction you want. Yeah, I think uh, so. GoPro is a good example because I think when it when it went public, we all were kind of interested. I mean, it had sort of this recognition, this reputation as the name in its market, um, and so we saw potential there, but but. I think that what we've seen with GoPro, for example, is a device company that was unable to to sort of capitalize on its reputation to become something more. And in this case, it wanted to become a media company and sort of use those devices in order to leverage all the content that it was that it was producing. And so, consequently, what we've seen is is troubling sales, troubling cash flow, growth, balance sheet starting to burn cash. Earnings starting to suffer, stuff like that. So I think you could look at it from that perspective and try to find other companies that maybe have similar qualities. And then you could say, all right, either I avoid investing in those companies and that's going to keep you from losing money, which is just as good as making money in some cases. Yes. <laughs> or you could short them, which is a bit of a riskier play yeah. because in shorting you could either be totally you could be totally right in your short thesis and still get it wrong. The because, timing. Right. Well, the timing or just the fact that you have other market forces at play that don't necessarily um, Come to one plus one equaling two, um, or you could take sort of an easier way of shorting, take some of the risk out of it by utilizing an option strategy. I mean, you could buy puts, for example, on something, and that's just making a bet that mm-hmm. something's going to go down, and you've basically capped how much you could lose via the options contract. Yep. Yeah, or if you if you like the company, you think it's got to go down, maybe you would appreciate buying it at a cheaper price. Without yeah. the exposure, you could write a put and then take the capital from there. And then if it does drop without going to zero, then you could get the shares on the cheap. But that's only if you want to hold shares at a cheaper valuation. Yeah, I've never personally shorted a stock, but uh, I guess you could short one stock that you believe less less in, and then go long a competitor that you think has life left. Sort and of then, hedge it. yeah, yeah, so like yeah. a pair trade kind of deal. Um, that would be the only two ways. I, I personally, I just. Study the stocks that I think are going to go go south, and then try and take those lessons and apply them to stocks I think are going to go go north. And I'd say I do exactly that. I I don't short stocks because of that very reason. You can be totally right and still get waxed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, options, honestly, man, I've got two kids in like a really busy schedule and zero time to pay attention to <laughs> options strategies. So I just at this point in my life, am not utilizing them. I imagine as as I get more time later on in the years, I'll probably start learning more about them and using them. Um, but yeah, I generally just try to extrapolate those lessons um, and, uh, and and just avoid buying bad companies. Well, and and one other factor that goes along with with shorting a stock is the squeeze that we see every now and then, where you'll yeah. see a stock that has a heavy short interest, and sometimes if it pops, a lot of that is short sellers covering mm-hmm. their covering their short. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean that's that's another good point to make and one you want to keep an eye out because when you look at Speaking of market forces that you can't <laughs> yeah, control. And that that again is a market force that you can't control. I mean, you you look at how many shares are outstanding 
of a company, but it, it doesn't stop there because you then have to look at the actual float, which is the percentage of those shares outstanding that actually trade on the open market. And then you want to look at the percentage of that float that is actually sold short. And in some cases, you could see a, a stock with a very, very high short interest. And that can be very attractive in that there's a short term catalyst that really could end up making you some money. You just have to be ready to, to accept the fact that that short term catalyst may not play through for a while. And ultimately, you need to answer the question is this a business I want to own regardless? Are the fundamentals of the business such that if this short short interest case were, were not a factor, would I still want to own the shares of this business? And, and I think uh, in that, if you, when you can find a business that you'd like to own regardless mm-hmm. and then has a really high short interest, that could be kind of compelling. Thanks for being here, guys. Appreciate it. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is Mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.